this morning. So let's just go home. No, we'll get to the message and then we'll go home. First Peter chapter number one. First Peter chapter number one. We're going to dive right into the message today. First Peter chapter one. Last week we started First Peter and we got through two verses and today we're going to do three verses. I knew we had the Lord's Supper, so I planned the message to only be about 45 minutes to an hour long. No, it actually only went about 33 minutes last service. Only 33. Sh shrunk it down just a little bit. But there's a great truth I want you to see in God's Word today. And so if you have a Bible there, open up. Or you could use your notes that I've given you. A lot of the scripture will be listed there. And we're going to read 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 3 through 5. The scripture tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. Pray guide our thoughts, guide our actions. Help us today to get from this passage what you have for us. And there are such blessed truths here this morning. We love you. We thank you for what you've done already in our lives and our hearts this morning. And help us the rest of this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We see Peter, last week we saw who he was writing to. And we see his greeting, his opening of his letter. And he talks about the grace of God. Now we see in verse number 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according abundant mercy hath begotten us. You see that phrase begotten us right there. You see when we all entered into this world there's a problem. The problem is we are all sinners. Man was made in the image of God from the beginning right? The Bible says that. God said let us make man in our image and in God's image God made man. But you'll notice something that changed Adam and Eve in the garden they sinned against God. And the Bible says that in chapter number 4, it is, or chapter 5, it's one of those two, that Adam gave birth and his son was in his image. There was a difference. God's image to Adam's image. Because the Bible tells us that wherefore by one man sin entered into the world. You know, when I get to heaven and I find Adam, I'm going to go talk to that guy. How could he be? I'm so glad it was him and not me, because it would have been me just like it was him. So I'm glad, I'm glad it's him. But Adam, how would you like to be? You are known for literally messing everybody else. That's the guy. When we get to heaven, oh, it's you. Yeah, thank God it was him and not me, because it would have been me. I probably would have done it sooner than Adam. But anyways, Adam's sin, because of that, we are born with a sin nature. Did you realize with our children as they grow up, you never had to teach them to say no and disobey. They knew how to do that. It was natural. You never have to teach your children how to be selfish. You never have to sit them down and say, okay, I don't want you to share with people. Say my, no, they know that from a young age. Mine. Wait, I never taught you that. No, it's mine. I'm not sharing. It's in us. Did you have to teach your children how to lie? No. Maybe they saw your example, and that's not good either. That's not a good thing either. We could go down that road. But 
You didn't have to teach. Why? Because we have to teach them to do good things. Because we all have a sin nature. And that sin nature does things bad. We are all born that way. And when we come into this world, we are not God's children. We are children of wrath, even as others, the Bible says. And what happened was there was a day Jesus came, he died on the cross, and he rose again. And while he lived on earth, he met with a man named Nicodemus for a little bit of time. When he met with Nicodemus, he told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, um, I've already been born once. I can't, how am I supposed to do this? No, it was a spiritual birth. Because what happens is the day that we were born into this world, when sin entered into the picture, as sin messed everything up, what happened was our, we spiritually died. And we are dead in our trespasses and in sins. But the Bible tells us that God is rich in mercy, wherewith he loved us. He gave us his son. Jesus died for our sins. And when he died for our sins, he died so that we could live, so that we could be born again. And what happens is the moment that you trust Jesus Christ for your salvation, you've got to understand salvation this morning, there are one of two places you're going to end up someday. You're going to end up in heaven or hell. There is no any other place. There are many religions and many roads that lead to hell. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. See, there are many religions out there that teach, well, if you do good works or you pray to so-and-so or you do this or that, you can go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is, there's no way to get to God but through me. That's that simple. One road to heaven, many roads that lead other places. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment, you are born again. And when you are born again, you're saved. You are good to go. You have your ticket, everything's in order, and life's good. We see that Peter in this passage tells us that... Look at verse there again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, hath, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When we get saved, we get adopted into God's family. God wants you in his family. You literally at salvation become a child of God. And the Bible tells us here, that we as Christians, as believers, have a lively hope. Not a hope like the And what's our hope in? The resurrection, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope stems from. You see, this world thinks they have hope, right? This world thinks it knows what's hope, what hope is all about. Many people over the past couple of days really hoped that they were going to win the lottery, right? So what did they do? They went and bought ticket after ticket after ticket. And did, did someone win? Someone did win. So out of all those millions that bought tickets, one person has their hope came true. And then you see whoever wins the lottery, how well their lives go after the fact, right? It's almost a blessing not to win it when you look at what happens to the families after someone wins the lottery. But for this world, there are a lot of people, what could I do with all that money? 
I had, I had two people ask me, they're like, Pastor, if I win, do I, do I tithe off of that? How does God feel about me gambling and things? I said, well, here, first of all, you already bought your ticket, so don't be asking me how God feels about that after you've already done whatever you're going to do. He always want me to justify what they do. I, I, you don't need me to justify anything. You can justify it yourself. You can go to God and you can figure that out yourself. But what I said is, you're going to give the world your money. You might as well just give it to God, right? So, yeah, give your tithe to God if you're the one who wants. That's okay. And, uh, but when we look at these things, our world, that's the hope it has. There really is, to, to someone who's not saved and doesn't know Jesus Christ, what hope do they have? Think about it. They can hope for a better job, more money, but then when you get, have you ever noticed you get the better job, you get the more money? Then you want a better job and more money because it's never quite enough. You never get quite what you want. I love sports, but the highest moment in sports is you win the championship. And then the next day you got to start training to try to win it again. You don't stay at that level. There's not hope in this world. And Peter says here that we are blessed of God and we have these things because God has given us a lively that is secure in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we look here, as we dive in, this lively hope literally means it is sure, certain, it's real. It's not deceptive. It's not empty. It's not a false hope. It literally is hope. This world does not have hope to offer you today. Jesus Christ has hope for you today. You see, there are many that are hoping in their 401k plans. How's that doing right now? There are many hoping in the stock market. How's that going? There are many hoping in the health in their family. Health doesn't always last. There are many that have hopeful thinking, wishful thinking. The Bible says we as believers have a lively hope. That word hope means a confident assurance based on the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that produces an exciting response in us. We have hope. That's why a Christian should smile. Hope. This world doesn't have hope. You have what the world's longing for. They just don't realize it. We have a lively hope. We have hope today. Praise God for that hope. Now, that hope comes, as I mentioned, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That lively hope, what do we have to look forward to? What is in our hope? Number one, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. Look at verse number four. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. As we look at this, you see we have an inheritance. Now, when you think of an inheritance... You think, well, someone has passed on and they leave an inheritance to their children or to their family so that they can enjoy the things that they had. Well, inheritances are very, not very easy in our world today. Between families arguing over it, probate, there's lots of things that go into an inheritance today. But you see, there's something completely different about this inheritance. You see, Jesus isn't dead and giving us what he has left. He lives, and he's going to give us all that he has with him. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1, verse number 18, I am he that liveth and is dead. And behold, I love this, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, verse number 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, 
If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You see the fact that as children of God, we share, we are joint heirs with Christ because of what he's done for us. And you got to understand that this, people say, well, this inheritance is not a myth, it's real. Heaven is a real place. Heaven, there, someday you're going to meet your maker. You're going to stand before God. We're going to see if your name's written in the Lamb's book of life or not. It's a real place. Jesus said like this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, we have an inheritance. As we talk about this inheritance and we think of heaven and the future, I want to give you a few thoughts about this inheritance. Letter A, we see it cannot be destroyed. Look at what the Bible says there. It says, to an inheritance incorruptible. Do you realize today, no one can go to heaven and destroy it. In those days, we talked about the Roman persecution in that day. And Rome would just go into a city and they would burn it down and destroy it as they... Anytime they want. Do you realize heaven can't be destroyed? It's incorruptible. It's not going to corrupt. You look at how, think about this, how beautiful earth is. But it's corrupt. And it's decaying before our very eyes. And you see how beautiful so many things are. Heaven cannot be destroyed. Nothing can corrupt it. It's incorruptible. And when we think on that thought, you got to understand something the Bible tells us in Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. We see the fact as we talk about this inheritance, and part of the reason we have this hope, we see this inheritance, it's, it can't be destroyed. It's incorruptible. We see letter B. We see that it cannot be defiled. What a wonderful thought. This literally means it cannot be soiled or stained. You turn on the news at night and you hear of the rapes that take place, the murders that take place, the people stealing things from one another, all those things. Do you realize in heaven it cannot be defiled? There will be no sin in heaven. Satan will not be there. Sin will have been defeated. It will be nowhere near that place. The inheritance we have coming, it cannot be defiled. It cannot be stained. It cannot be messed with. Satan won't be there. Suffering won't be there. Sin won't be there. Death won't be there. Pain won't be there. Do I need to go on? I think you get the picture. Revelation 21.4, look what the Bible says. And God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow, nor crying, nor th neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That's our inheritance that we have to look forward to. The Bible tells us in Revelation 21, verse 17, 27. And there shall in no wise enter anything that defileth, neither whatsoever maketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no sin, there will be no Satan, It'll be a perfect place. That inheritance, it cannot be destroyed. It cannot be corrupted. And let us see. It's not going to fade away. Fade away means wear out. Everyone in this room has their favorite things that wear out over time. 
Just a few weeks ago, my dad was going through a box at, our, at, at their house, the house I grew up in. And in this box, he opened it, and there was this little blanket, tattered blanket. And I looked, that was my childhood blanket right there. I hadn't seen that thing in years. It's literally wearing away. There's almost nothing left of it. He said, what did you do? I brought it home. It's sitting at home now. I don't know. I haven't slept with it. Don't worry. No, I haven't done that. And even if I did, I'm not telling you, okay? Just remember that. But it's wearing out. Things wear out. Your favorite car that you got, it wears out. That beautiful house you thought was perfect has to be painted down the line. Everything wears out. The roads in California all wear out. Need fixing. Then they fix them, and then it's like, did they really fix them, or did they, are they still worn out? About a year ago, a little over a year ago, I started running. And I never thought I would enjoy running, and I actually kind of do now. But I found the perfect shoe for it. It's a Nike shoe that literally, it feels like you're running on a cloud. It's perfect. And do you know what Nike did, though? They discontinued it. I don't know what's wrong with them. It is, I can put on every other pair of Nikes and they hurt my feet all the time. This literally feels like I'm on a cloud. Why do they need to get rid of something that's so good? They're getting something better. That's what they say with everything, right? They say, oh, they're making cars better. They're making everything better. They make it so you can't even fix them yourself anymore and you gotta pay more money when there used to be just a simple little engine and you could just fix it yourself. But anyways, I won't go further on those thoughts. But those shoes I run sometimes five miles every day, most of the time. They last about three months. I have one pair of these Nikes left. I bought, well, you said, what do you do? I bought what I could on clearance at other Nike stores. I still, if I'm around somewhere, maybe on a trip I'll do it. If I find a Nike store, I'm gonna stop to see if I can find me, myself one more pair of these shoes. I have one pair I haven't touched. Pray for me, in four months, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Maybe that's the Lord's sign I need to stop running. That could be it, I'm gonna take that, that's the Lord's sign. But they wear out. Everything wears out. The Bible says here that this inheritance that we have, it, look at what it says there. It says, it fadeth not away. It's not going to wear out. Do you realize today the streets of heaven never wear out? They're still paved with gold. God still owns everything. The mansions are still there. The economy hasn't hit heaven. Everything is good. Nothing, gets, nothing wears out. It doesn't fade away. And look at, that, look at the rest of that verse. It says, reserved in heaven for you. That word reserved literally means to be guarded and kept under lock and key. Your inheritance is secure. No one can go to a lawyer and change it on you. They can't. No power of attorney can change anything. Your inheritance, the hope that we have, we have an inheritance that cannot be destroyed, it's not going to be defiled, and it doesn't ever wear out. And God has reserved that. It's under law, and no one can do anything about it. That hope, that should put a smile on your face, shouldn't it? Some of you need to put a smile on your face. It's okay. Some of you look like you're sitting at the dentist this morning getting work done on your teeth. It's okay. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Maybe close, but not that bad. Number one, we see our inheritance what else do we have for hope? This is the best part to me. Number two, we are kept by God. Look at what verse number five says. Who are kept by the power of God 
through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. There are many religions and people out there that say you can lose your salvation. I believe in a once saved, always saved, and I'm going to show you why this morning here in the next few minutes. If God does the saving, then I can't mess up his saving. Just a thought there for you. Because you will notice something about those who believe in a works-based salvation and you earn your way. If you can earn your way, you can lose your way. That makes sense. It does make sense to me. But I didn't earn my way to heaven. There is nothing in me that could ever earn heaven. I am not. The Bible says my righteousness is as filthy rags. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I cannot do it on my own. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And that's how I'm saved today. Not by myself, but by what he's done. So if I believe that he's done it and my salvation is in him, then I also believe that he keeps me saved. That's how it works. Look at what it says here. It says there, that who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We see under number two, we see letter A, we see the promise given here. Peter tells these early believers that they are kept by the power of God. The word kept means a garrison or protected by a military guard. It refers to a garrison within a city. And literally, you've got to understand, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us has sealed us into the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit that is with us is guarding us and keeping us safe forever. Think about the president today. The president, wherever he goes, he has armed guards everywhere. But, you know, even with the president, those guards can't solve every problem for him. A few weeks ago, he fell on his bicycle. You can't, they couldn't stop that. They could help him up, but they couldn't stop that. So there's even some fallibility in our service of protecting our president. With the Lord, there is none. You are kept you are safe, you are secure by God. you got to understand something. You don't have the secret service, you've got the sovereign service. You don't need the armed guards, you've got Almighty God on your side. You don't need present protection, you've got perfect protection. It doesn't get any better. You don't have a mall cop guarding you, you've got the Lord doing it. Praise God for that. As we think on that, you've got to understand what the Bible says about our eternal security. Many Christians doubt their salvation. And you know why they doubt their salvation? Satan wants nothing more than you to doubt your salvation. Because if you're doubting your salvation, that's all you're spending your time thinking about. He wants you to doubt. The Lord, the Bible tells us, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. The promise given here, let me give you some verses for this. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that, come, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Look at what it says here. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that, all, that, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Can you see that right there? All that he's given me, I should lose nothing. 
all those who've gotten saved, he will not lose one of them, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last days. Do you see that Jesus will lose none of what God's given to him? Do you see that there? He's not going to lose you. So my favorite verse in the Bible, John chapter 8, verse 29, 28 and 29. John 10, sorry. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man, no thing, no devil, no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. When you get saved, you are put in the hand of God, and there is nothing, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate you from the love of God. Nothing can get you out of his hand. When you're in his hand, you are safe and secure forever. There are many Christians out there that say, but pastor, there are so many times that I just doubt. And I've heard people say, well, I got saved again. I don't know if I was saved or if when I got saved, all these different things. Let me give you some verses on that too. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 4 through 6. Look at what the Bible says. For it is impossible, impossible, cannot happen. For those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the heavenly ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. It is impossible once you've been saved to have to get saved again. You are saved. A great passage on that. And people will take the prodigal son and try to use that as a salvation parable. And you can do what you want to with it. But last time I read it and I studied it, he's called the prodigal son. He's not the prodigal kid that belonged to someone else and then I brought him in. No, he's the prodigal son. The son leaves. The father still loves his son. The father still keeps his eyes out for the son. When the son finally comes to himself and comes home, the dad says, you are still my son. You never stop being my son. If you need anything else for eternal security, I think the, the prodigal son story gives you all you need. Once you're saved, you are always saved. Why? Not because of what we do, because we don't trust in ourselves to get us to heaven. Because of him, we are kept, the Bible says. And what a blessing that is. Paul tells us John 6, 47. Say, Pastor, you're getting a little animated today. When I talk about things like this, you can't, how can you help but get animated? Some people sit in front of a TV and watch your team do great, and you cheer with that. And I do that too. I'd much rather get animated about knowing that my salvation is secure and that I couldn't lose it. Because if anybody could lose their salvation, it would have been me. I lose my keys and stuff all the time. I don't even know where my keys are now. Oh, here they are over here. One of the best things I ever did for my keys... Put one of those Apple tags on it. And how many times have I rang it to find out where it is? I even got one on my wallet. You say, you lose your wallet? Sometimes I do. So if anybody's going to lose their salvation, I probably would. I'd probably, probably put an Apple tag on it to keep it close by. I'm glad, though, I don't have to worry about it. He's got it all settled. He's got it all under control. The Bible says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, 
hath everlasting life. Not, could have, no, you hath everlasting life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see that there? The Bible tells us Hebrews 7, verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hey, this morning we have a promise. We are kept, we are guarded by God. Your salvation is secure. But it's kept by what? Letter B. It's kept by the power of God. The power of God. You and I are limited in our power. We don't have a lot of power. May I remind you this morning, God is all-powerful. The reason that we are secure is because we are not liable for keeping our own salvation. We are kept by the power of God, the dynamic power of Almighty God that was able to say, let there be light, and guess what happened? There was light. That's how powerful he is. Think on that one right there. He is powerful enough to say, hey, let there be light. I want the earth to separate itself. I want the moon to be made. I'm going to create the stars also. I'm going to breathe life into man. Yeah, that powerful God is what he, his power is what he uses to keep you safe and secure. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, think on that there. That power is good enough today for you and I. What a blessing that is. You can be confident in knowing that he always finishes what he starts. Isn't that what Paul said? Philippians chapter number 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can rest assured by the power of God, he's going to finish what he starts. Being born again, you can't lose your salvation and go to hell because it's not on you to lose. He holds it. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, verse number 29, I think this kind of clears up everything. He did it all in salvation. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be formed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Do you see? He predestinated, he called, he justified, he glorified. He did all of it. You didn't do anything. So he keeps it. What a God. What a hope that we have this morning. And do you know, I can't explain this one to you, but did you know that you are, think on this. There are many that say, well, I could lose my salvation. Well, then here's another Bible. All these verses I've showed you, if you say you can lose your salvation, you're saying the Bible's not true. You're saying that Jesus was a liar. But there's one more. And I don't understand this one completely. And I'm not going to try and tell you I understand it but we are already seated together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. And hath raised us up together and made us sit. It's a past action. Together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Say, but pastor, I'm sitting in church. Yeah, this isn't heaven. Heaven's a lot better than this, okay? But we are already sitting together in heavenly places. Your seat is reserved. It's there. You can't lose your salvation. So Peter, as he's getting ready to help these Christians out and talk about the grace of God, he says, hey guys, we have a hope that this world doesn't have. I remember I told you, he was telling them there's persecution coming their way. 
There's a lot of persecution coming their way. Hey, to those Christians, hey, you have hope. You have a lively hope. This world, those Romans, they don't have that hope. You have that hope. You have an inheritance that's waiting for you. That Rome can't destroy. Rome can't corrupt. And Rome's not going to make it fade away. And you are safe and secure in the Lord today, not because of anything you do, but because you're kept by his power. That's hope. That's hope today. Maybe you need a little bit of hope. That is, when the Bible talks about hope and looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this is what hope's all about. Father, I thank you.